0: So as you've heard, Pam and I are excited, Uh, we're very excited that Christy, our daughter, and Jesse, her husband, our son-in-law, who have been living in South Africa for six years, made their way to Boulder, Colorado, and are going to take up residency there. So we're we're really pumped about that, excited. A four-hour plane ride is a whole lot easier than a 24-hour plane ride. So they, they came into Washington, D.C., and they, they started a trek across country. They stopped here for about a week, and then they went down to Springfield, Missouri. That's where my mom and dad are located, and most of my family, and then they made their way up this week to, um, to Boulder, right around the Denver area. My mom and dad live down there, and as you know that, uh, and I've expressed this to you, talked about it, my father is dealing with dementia at this time. It's been a real difficult thing for him and about two weeks ago he took a nasty fall and did not break anything but bruised himself to the degree that my mom couldn't take care of him anymore so they had to put him in a care facility. So you can understand and if you know much about dementia and I'm still learning a whole lot about it, one of the things that comes with that is fear. And so it was not uncommon that several times during the day that even though they're in the same house, my mother walked into another room, my dad would begin to call out, Gene, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? So you can understand the the moments of fear that have gripped him now that he is in a strange place with strange people. So Christy and Jesse went to to see my dad this last week. Now, when Christy was young, my dad used to call her Punkin, P-U-N-K-I-N. I I think that's how you spell that, Punkin. Not even sure where the name came up, and but probably as she was decorating a pumpkin and she did a good job, and so he called her pumpkin. And so my dad was very instrumental in spoiling her and in, in being there for her and, and playing with her and soothing her when she would have those upset moments and those times of fear. So as Christy was and Jesse were getting ready to go see my father. They had some apprehension because of the memory issues and didn't know how all that was going to be because he's in a very dark place part of the time. Well, when they walked in, he got this really huge smile on his face, and there was a connection, and it was just great. His pumpkin had finally arrived, and there she was, and, and in her own way, she began to spoil him and play with him, and in her own way, soothe his restlessness, his upset condition, and his fear. Once again, reinforcing the fact that all of us begin to understand as you live life, and it's simply this, that fear is soothed when love protects. So the nation of Israel had been invaded. They had been been kidnapped. They had been abducted. They had been moved to a strange place with strange people. So you can understand the fear that they felt. And for 70 years, they would be in this place of Babylon. And to make matters worse, if it wasn't bad enough, there was this this major king from the Persian Empire, his name was Cyrus, who was now going to invade Babylon and overtake that. So you can understand the confusion that must have been there, the the fear in that confusion, the the cry out for an advocate, someone stand up and help us because not only are we in a strange place, but now someone else strange is going to come in and take over. What's going to happen to us? We have no advocates. And it was in those moments of fear that Jehovah God found a voice through a prophet named Isaiah. And here is what he said, Isaiah 41, verse 10. So do not fear, because in this condition you are in, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am still your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, I want you to leave that verse there for a moment, because I want you now to think about the situation you find yourself in. And hear the voice of Jehovah God speaking to you because prophetic words not only are for that moment, but they go through time because there's layers of understanding. And for some of you today, this is God's word to you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So how do you deal with with the fear you feel when your wife walks in and says, I don't want to be married anymore? How do you deal with the fear when the school district is slicing jobs? How do you deal with the fear when the stock market is draining your retirement income? How do you deal with fear when the lab tests come back and they're not so good? What we've got to do is we've got to understand who is protecting us. And so Jehovah God says, "I am your God," and I want to use some paraphrasing of those today. These are words by John Piper, but they're just so appropriate that I'm borrowing them this morning. "I am your God. I am over you." My sophomore year in high school, I played junior high or ju- junior high. Very good. Sophomore year, I played junior varsity football, and I remember recall. During one practice, a very large running back had made his way, had broken his way through the offensive line and I was playing defense. And so I went to tackle him and we collided head on. There was a big collision. He was much bigger than me. The good news is that after the collision and during the collision, I heard the words, ball, 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 which meant it had been fumbled, which was good, it was a good hit. The problem was that I went blind, just temporarily. As I soon realized that my helmet had spun all the way around <laughs> and I couldn't see. Once again proving that three dimensional physics law that simply says that two objects cannot occupy the same space unless you're God. Because here are the words of Jesus as recorded by the Apostle John. God is spirit. And the rest of that is, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Meaning this, that you've got to understand that who He is is not confined to your 3D world. What we've got to understand is that He is spirit and we must understand that because our worship will only be worship when we understand the magnitude of who he is, how he is not confined. So today, do this. When we leave this place, go down and rent a boat. Go out onto Lake Erie. Get out in the middle of Lake Erie and jump in. Swim down about 10 feet. And while you're there, ask yourself this question. Where is the water? You say, well, that's ridiculous. It's just everywhere. Exactly. Keep that in mind the next time you ask, where is God? I love the words of Bill Hybels. It's on your notes. He says this, his presence is everywhere, but not his essence. That would be the heresy known as Pantheism. God is no less present in one portion of the universe than any other, and He is no more present anywhere than where you are right now. In other words, anyone anywhere in the universe might say, the Lord is in this place. Wherever you are, God is right there, right now. So this flower provided to us by Rosebud Floral, how beautiful they've done every week. But you look at these flowers and you say, look at the reflection of God's beauty. There it is absolutely gorgeous, but this is not God. It reflects His beauty, but I don't worship the flower. I won't go out of here and and go worship an oak tree. I can't say, oh, I worship you, because the, the, the issue is that they're of different material. He is present, and we can see that in this beauty, but this is not Him. We do not worship Him. Ralph Waldo Emerson said that nature is too thin a screen the glory of the omnipresent God burst through it everywhere. I saw on somebody's Facebook this week, they were up really early and they had a picture of the sunrise and it was absolutely gorgeous and they said, "Here's God's here. And, and what they were saying was that no matter what nature does, this presence of the Almighty cracks through and you say, no, 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 there's God. He's here. Nature is our environment. Without this nature around us, an environment we would die. But understand that God is nature's environment. Without our environment we die, without God, nature does not exist. I have a picture of the universe I want you to see. So the question might be, so where's God? Well, understand that, that the, the universe does not contain God. God contains the universe. You say, but, but where is God in that? And then where was God before the universe was created? The answer to that is this, nowhere. You say, what? Nowhere. You see, God created where? God was before where, and he is after where. He is over where, and he's under. You thought I was going to say it, didn't you? <laughs> not going to say it. He's under the where. (laughs) See, God created where for that which is finite. Because if I'm over here with you and I disappear behind that door, you're going to say, where is Jack? Because I can't be two places at one time. But with God, there is no where because God is present all the moment, all the time in that place. There is nowhere. So when I ask a question, where is God in all this, it's an invalid question. There's a catechism that asks the question, why is there but one God? The answer is this, there is only one God because God fills every place in the heavens and the earth and there is no room left for another. God is unconstrained by distance. If he could be constrained by distance, and I could outwalk the distance, and if I outwalk the distance, I can say where is God? But because I cannot outwalk the distance, I am surrounded by who He is, and understand that wherever He is, He is maximally present. I cannot walk five, six, seven miles towards Waterford and say there's a thinner portion of God here than there was on Oliver Road. The fullness of God is wherever God is, and God is present everywhere. And especially then he makes himself manifestly present because of his transcendence to communicate to those who he deeply loves. So look at the person next to you and just say, oh, my God. Now look at them and go, oh, my God? Now understand that they are not God. So just turn to them and say, you're not God. You're not the boss of me. Go ahead. Now, you that are sitting next to your parents really enjoyed that. But when you look at them, you will see God at work. My seventh grade history teacher said I didn't have one, but for the rest of you, let's talk about your brain. (laughs) Your brain contains 10 billion nerve cells. Each nerve cell is connected to as many as 10,000 other brain nerve cells. If we would take the blood vessels from your body and unite them together, they would go around the world two and a half times. In each of your cells, there is a blueprint called DNA. And someone has said that if you could write down all the instructions of that DNA, it would create a book with 200,000 pages. And this one who fills everything everywhere so that there's not room for any other being that he does not desire, that one intimately knows what is in your book. The psalmist David recorded it this way, Psalm 139, verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. It starts in the womb, for he says this, I am with you. I'm by your side. So I've watched Pam as as our three children were birthed and as she held them after their birth, and I watched as she studied them carefully. I watched as she stroked their face. I watched her as she studied their little fingers, as she memorized their breathing, as she understood their cries. So deeply in love with that which she has created. This God who is so immense that there is no end to his distance and there is no thinning of his presence feels the same way about you. He knows your speech patterns. He knows your thought process. He knows where you want to go today and how you will get there and what the result will be when you arrive. When you cry, he feels that. He winces when you have pain. He cries in your disappointment. He laughs at your stupid jokes. He chooses to be with you even when no one else wants to be with you or when you don't even want to be with you. He chooses that. Jacob was a manipulative con man who was on the run from some vigilante justice. His father was a very holy man, but the father's son was anything but that. He found himself in what he considered a God-forsaken desert. He laid his head down on a rock as a pillow, and as he fell asleep, he began to see something in his dreams, a vision of this, this stairway between where he was and the presence of the Almighty. And when he awakened, he said, I didn't know it, but God is in this place. When we are godless, we are so often unaware of God there. The psalmist says this, Psalm 139, 11, I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in the darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. See, I can hide my embezzling. I can hide my infidelity. I can hide my midnight binging. I can hide my verbal abuse at home. But understand that God sees it as clear as if it were in the middle of the day in bright light. There's nothing hidden. The evil that's been planned against you, the spiritual forces that want to attack you, he sees it all clear, clearly. He sees what you have planned. Absolutely sees that. Pam has this great story that when she was in high school, She skipped school. Uh Uh-huh. So, and actually there were three strikes. First of all, she skipped school she wasn't supposed to. She was out with a boy she was not supposed to be with. That's just a horrible thing. (laughs) And then thirdly, living in the culture that she was living in, going to the movie theater was actually against the holy laws of the church she was involved in. So there's three strikes right there. Now, somehow her father found out that she was gone, but he had no idea where she was. So he got in his vehicle and he started driving around asking God to show him where she was. He drove around Fort Wayne, Indiana and pulled in front of a movie theater and God spoke inside of him and said, right here, now. So when she walked out of the movie theater, there stood her father. The wrath of God. See, the truth of the matter is this. You cannot hide anything from God. You read Jesus telling us in the Scriptures, he said, that which is secret will be made known because God sees it clearly, and God doesn't keep a secret very well. Why would he hound us? Why would he keep after us? Let me ask a question. Jeff and Deb, when your girls were age four, let's say Rachel was, was with you and she wanted to go play on Peach Street would you let her? Why? It's dangerous. it's dangerous. There's evil on Peach Street. Not only are there stores, but evil cars. <laughs> All of that is evil. So if she wanted to get across the street, how would you get her across? You'd walk her. You would take her by the hand and you would lead her. Now, why, doesn't he, why don't you think she was able to understand that there's evil on Peach Street? Had experienced too young, but you in your wisdom, in your insight have seen it clearly. So understand this about the way that we deal with God and the way he deals with us. We say, God, we want to go this direction and we really don't need your help. And God in his wisdom says, I see everything and I see the danger that's coming your way and I need to stop you. If you need to get somewhere, I will take you by the hand and lead you there, but you do not have the wisdom to see what is ahead, although that which inside of you says, I want to do that. I want to go do this thing. I want to do this thing the culture says is okay for me, and I've seen it plenty of times portrayed in the media and on television. It seems like it's okay, and God says to you, no, you can't do that because I can tell you what the pain and the injury will be. Take me by the hand, and I will lead you through this thing. If Rachel doesn't do as she's told, then there will be discipline. There will be some infliction of some kind of pain that says, this is just a, a glimpse of the pain you'll feel if you don't obey me because of what is ahead of you if you go on beyond the boundaries I placed around you. For the Scripture says, he disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he loves and he will destroy those things that hate his life. That is his promise, and he knows what those are. Some of you have heard a voice in your head telling you that you've gone way beyond where God wanted you to go, and therefore you never can get back. He never left you. He's right here. There is no place that He is not. You cannot say, Where is God? because He is. But before creation, He said, I am. Before the universe was created, he, I am. Before you sat and, and took your final and wondered how well you did, I am. Before you had that, that fight at home in, in, in your relationship with your spouse, He said, I am. Before you got laid off, I am. Now that you are laid off, I am. And you think you've gone way beyond what he can handle? He still says, I am. Because you look at Jacob, this manipulator, this con man, and notice that God said to him, I am, and I'm right next to you, and I still have a way for you to be with me. John, the follower of Jesus, recorded it this way. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, there is a way. He's not gone on to his Facebook and unfriended you. He is still there with you. Some of you believe that he is with you, but you wonder where he is in this horrible crisis you're in, and so you're asking, where are you? And to you he says this, I will strengthen you. It means to, to come from the inside out. I'm going to take care of you and show you who you truly are from the inside out because that's where I am with you. i want to show you a picture of Corey and Betsy Ten Boom and their younger daughter. Corey and Betsy are the first two. Corey and Betsy and their family hid Jews and occupied Holland during World War II. And as a result of hiding the Jews, the entire family were sent to concentration camps. They were sent to one of the worst, Ravensbrück. Horrific things happened there and many people died. The amazing thing that we know about their story is that in those horrible barracks, piled together, lice infested, hardly any food to eat, rags for clothing, freezing at night, they shared this thing about this understanding that God is still here. He's come to rescue us even in our concentration camp. They, they transformed those barracks into Bible studies and prayer gatherings. They taught them so that the prisoners were transformed from those who were haters and full of bitterness to those who loved and cared even for those who were guarding them. The conditions were so horrific and the, and the treatment was so horrible that Betsy began to die. She contracted an illness and she was dying. And so they took her to the the camp hospital and and Corey went with her and when the orderlies had placed the stretcher down, Corey bent down to hear the words through the weakened lips of Betsy and this is what Betsy said. We must tell people what we have learned here. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corey, because we have been there. What is your pit? You say, it's no good here. What is that pit? Understand that God wants what is good more so than what appears to be good. And he will bring you there. That he has you on a road of intended good and, and finalization of the good. But on that road, there will be some bad. But in that bad, he will bring you to that which is good. For somebody else's poor choices and even your own poor choices that you've now repented of will not stop him giving you the destiny he has planned for you. He may not remove your pit, but he will change you in here. I will strengthen you. He makes this promise. I will help you. I will be all around you. So in a moment of candor, let me just tell you this. And it's the first time I think it's ever happened to me in all the years that I've been here. But a couple weeks ago on a Thursday, I went to Valerie, my secretary, and it was a Thursday afternoon. And I said to her, I've got to go. I can no longer take the immense battle that's happening right now. I've never had to deal with so many issues in people's lives, so many life-crushing issues. I can't carry this anymore. I've got to go. And I just had to leave. It's not that I don't want to hear what it is you're carrying because we are here to carry those with you, but it just seemed at that moment there was so much more than I've ever had before. You know, we've got these fears Bill Heibel calls them pestering fears, and those are the things that are on the back burner of your mind. The things you just think about, like, well, well, will, will G E lay off some people, and, and how will I do next semester? And they just kind of hang there. And then there's these pressing fears, these things that are on the front burner where where a mom says, Oh, 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 now I, I'm seeing signs of autism in my child. What am I going to do? Th- those, those issues that just that press hard on you, where, where a The husband says, my wife's being deployed to Afghanistan. What am I going to do? And if those things continue to drain us, soon they become paralyzing fears where we feel like we're going to lose something really important and, and so we just become immobile. And I felt like it that day. I felt like it was a paralyzing fear. I don't know what else to do. It's just wave after wave after wave after wave and it won't stop. And I had to come back to an understanding of who God is. I had to get away from the storm for a moment and, and, and try to find the reality of this one who said that fear will fade as love protects. And so the psalmist reminded me of that in Psalm 139, verse 7. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning and if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Literally, if I go to the heavens, means if I go to the outer space, you're there. If I go down and it's called the place of the dead, but to the deepest spot in earth, you're there. If, if I can ride light waves and, and make it to the Indian Ocean, when I'm there, you're still there. And the reason I can't escape you is because your hand is there for me. And he said, your hand will guide me. The word actually means transport me. I will take you. And I don't know how this works, but when we actually say, okay, take me, Jesus. Take me, Father. I'm holding your hand. Somehow he transports us to where we need to get to. And I can't even tell you how we get there, but somehow we get there. He said, I will transport you. My strength will support you. My my hand, that strength actually means to grab hold of something that you believe is your possession and say, you can't have this. So that when I say to God in the moment of my crisis and I'm starting to panic and I'm becoming paralyzed and I say, oh God, I don't know what to do with this, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to declare the Lord is in this place. I'm taking you by the hand. You transport me where I need to go because I know you said that I belong to you and you will not let go of my hand no matter what the culture says or the circumstance. I believe you won't let go of my hand because this is a walk of faith. And sometimes I can't see it, but It's happening. Because God does not just function in 3D, but he goes on dimension upon dimension upon dimension upon dimension. The Lord is in this place. It doesn't mean I I hide my feelings. I still say, I feel abandoned by you. The psalmist said that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet you are holy. You inhabit my praises. So you sit here today and you wonder if he's gone. He's telling you, don't give up. Reach out and say, I will take your hand and I will say today, the Lord is in this place and he will not let me go. Don't exhaust your strength on trying to find other ways over and over again or to to be angry with him over and over again, but instead use your strength to say, I will find you and hold on to you. For he makes this promise, I will uphold you. It means to come from underneath us. Corey Tenboom once said In times of fear, I don't wrestle, I nestle. I love that. My grandmother Cook was a very full woman. And so when Grandma Cook would sit in a chair, there was no room for the grandkids to get in that chair but we wanted to be with Grandma Cook because she was awesome. So I would climb up into her lap and it was hard to even find a lap. But she would grab hold and she would hold me there so that I was close to her, so that I would not slip away. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is faithful in all his words, And kind in all his works. Don't miss that. Everything he says he will do, and when he does it, he will be kind to you. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. For all who are falling means literally those who are are lost, who are overwhelmed, who even feel slain. He says, I invite you to crawl in my lap and I will hold you there. You don't have to hold on to me. I will hold on to you if you put yourself there with me. Because there are some moments, there are some moments when I just say, God, I have nothing left. I cannot say anything else. You're going to have to have other people pray for me because I've got nothing left in me, but I just want to move in close to you. I'll stick on some praise music and I'll say I have no words, but I just want you to hold me in your lap. Just keep me there. For they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I can't tell you how it works, but when I get down from there, I have strength for those next moments. And when those run out, I come back and I crawl back in his lap and I say, oh, please, just hold me there. He says, for those who are bent over, those who have been carrying the load, bowed down. He said, I will raise you up. And the word actually means to life you. I will pour life into you. I will bring it back into you so that you can stand up erect and strong once again. You know, when Jesus was on this earth and they said, who are you? And he said, I am. They knew exactly. They said, oh, you're the one that was with Moses at that burning bush, the I am. See, in your wilderness right now, he is I am. At this moment, he is already figuring out your exodus. At this moment, he has already created your promised land and how to get you there. And that is why David wrote Psalm 139, 16, like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth and all the stages of my life were spread out before you. You catch that? All the stages of my life were spread out before you the days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. This I am who stands next to you says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am lifing you right now. Please understand this at this moment. If you are in middle school right now, would you understand that when you get into high school, he has already been there and he's already prepared a way. He's there at this moment because space and time does not contain him. He knows what you'll face and he's already prepared that. On your marriage day, he's there. If you're going to go through a divorce, he is there. He's already prepared his healing for you now in preparation for when you get there. When you get to retirement, he's already there. If you get laid off before that, he's there. When you have to deal with illnesses in your senior years, he is there already. Already he has your days laid out. Already he is preparing you and already has his hand there to strengthen you and carry you and walk you. That is who he is. That is why we worship him. He is lifing you. I want Steve Frank to come up. Steve just saw me before service. And Steve, will you grab a microphone? I think Pam is right on on your left there. Steve didn't know what I was preaching this morning. He hadn't seen my script. But God gave him what I believe is a prophetic word for you. And so important was it and so clear to him that he wrote it down on an electronic device, which does not make it not prophetic. In those days, there were scrolls. This is a smartphone. And it's scrolls, so we're Okay. Here's what God told him before he came in here today for somebody in this room. For I know the plans I have had for you before I knit you together in your mother's womb. I have placed you in your current position to be prosperous and not defeated. For you're oppressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. So stand up, be confident in the position which you have been placed. Lead courageously without fear or doubt, and know the Lord God is with you and has not made a mistake in placing you in the position that you are in, but has called you by name to represent Him right where you are. Okay, thank you. Somebody in here, and maybe more than one, you need to take hold of that right now because God's letting you know that He's already prepared where you are for what He has for you to do there. And don't release it. He's in you right now. No matter how great a storm you face.
1: I know your story. I've read it cover to cover, and I know the storms that will come. The waves will swell and the sky will darken. Though you'll fight against the current, You'll be swept away. You'll feel helpless and abandoned, and you'll wonder where I am in the midst of it all. I know this isn't the way you thought our relationship would work, but my plans are not for my comfort or yours. My purposes are always and only an expression of love. The scars in my hands are proof that love will sometimes lead you directly into the storm understand my plans you can trust in one thing that i am entirely good you can't even imagine how good i am and my plan for you is no different when you shout asking where i am know that i am right behind you with my arms wrapped tightly around you whispering i will never let go for you are the pinnacle of my creation center of my affection. There will come a day when I will quiet every storm and wipe away every tear. In that day, there will be no more pain or death. But until that day comes, I will be your
2: When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow. Song-
0: council members and spouses that are here to just come and just spread yourself out to the front here. I know some are gone for the holiday weekend, but just come. That's it. So we're going to sing this again, and as we do, I'm going to invite you, if, if you need to declare in the midst of the hard time you face, the Lord is in this place. Then I invite you to come and you can Just have some of these folks pray with you, or you can just find a spot here where you can pray without interruption, but we don't want you to go here without knowing that we are walking with you through whatever you face. So we're going to sing it, and as we do, you come, and you that are going to be leaving and not coming this direction, just stay where you are for at least the first time through the song to allow those people that are going to come this way not to be interrupted, and then you are free to go and enjoy this wonderful weekend. And remember... The Lord is in this place. As we sing, would you come?